Book Two, Chapter Six of Off on a Comet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Off on a Comet by Jules Verne, translated by Anonymous. Book Two, Chapter Six Money at a Premium. Who's there? I have nothing here for anyone. Go away. Such was the inhospitable greeting with which Isaac Hackabut received his visitors. Hackabut! Do you take us for thieves? asked Servadac, in tones of stern displeasure. Oh, your excellency, my lord, I did not know that it was you, whined the Jew, but without emerging any farther from his cabin. Now, old Hackabut, come out of your shell. Come and show the governor proper respect, when he gives you the honor of his company, cried Ben Zuf, who by this time had clambered on to the deck. After considerable hesitation, but still keeping his hold upon the cabin door, the Jew made up his mind to step outside. What do you want? he inquired, timorously. I want a word with you, said Servadac, but I do not want to stand talking out here in the cold. Followed by the rest of the party, he proceeded to mount the steps. The Jew trembled from head to foot. But I cannot let you into my cabin. I am a poor man. I have nothing to give you, he moaned piteously. Here he is, laughed Ben Zuf, contemptuously. He is beginning his chapter of lamentations over again. But standing out here will never do. Out of the way, old Hackabut, I say, out of the way, and, without more ado, he thrust the astonished Jew on one side and opened the door of the cabin. Servadac, however, declined to enter until he had taken the pains to explain to the owner of the tartan that he had no intention of laying violent hands upon his property, and that if the time should ever come that his cargo was in requisition for the common use, he should receive a proper price for his goods, the same as he would in Europe. Europe, indeed, muttered the Jew maliciously between his teeth. European prices will not do for me. I must have galleon prices, and of my own fixing, too. So large a portion of the vessel had been appropriated to the cargo that the space reserved for the cabin was of most meager dimensions. In one corner of the compartment stood a small iron stove, in which smoldered a bare handful of coals. In another was a trestle board which served as a bed, two or three stools, and a rickety deal table together with a few cooking utensils, completed a stock of furniture which was worthy of its proprietor. On entering the cabin, Ben Zuf's first proceeding was to throw on the fire a liberal supply of coals, utterly regardless of the groans of poor Isaac, who would almost as soon as have parted with his own bones as submit to such reckless expenditure of his fuel. The perishing temperature of the cabin, however, was sufficient justification for the orderly's conduct and by a little skillful manipulation he soon succeeded in getting up a tolerable fire. The visitors having taken what seats they could, Hackabut closed the door, and, like a prisoner awaiting his sentence, stood with folded hands, expecting the captain to speak. Listen, said Servadac, we have come to ask a favor. Imagining that at least half his property was to be confiscated, the Jew began to break out into his usual formula about being a poor man and having nothing to spare. But Servadac, without heeding his complainings, 
went on. We are not going to ruin you, you know. Hakabut looked keenly into the captain's face. We have only come to know whether you can lend us a steel yard. So far from showing any symptom of relief, the old miser exclaimed, with a stare of astonishment, as if he had been asked for some thousand francs. A steel yard? Yes, echoed the professor, impatiently. A steel yard. Have you not one? asked Servadac. To be sure he has, said Ben Zuf. Old Isaac stammered and stuttered, but at last confessed that perhaps there might be one amongst the stores. Then, surely, you will not object to lend it to us, said the captain. Only for one day, added the professor. The Jew stammered again, and began to object. It is a very delicate instrument, Your Excellency. The cold, you know, the cold may do injury to the spring, and perhaps you are going to use it to weigh something very heavy. Why, old Ephraim, do you suppose we are going to weigh a mountain with it? said Ben Zuf. Better than that, cried out the professor, triumphantly. We are going to weigh Gallia with it. My comet. Merciful heaven, shrieked Isaac, feigning consternation at the bare suggestion. Servadac knew well enough that the Jew was holding out only for a good bargain, and assured him that the steel yard was required for no other purpose than to weigh a kilogram, which, considering how much lighter everything had become, could not possibly put the slightest strain upon the instrument. The Jew still sputtered, and moaned, and hesitated. Well, then, said Servadac, if you do not like to lend us your steel yard, do you object to sell it to us? Isaac fairly shrieked aloud. God of Israel, he ejaculated, sell my steel yard? Would you deprive me of one of the most indispensable of my means of livelihood? How should I weigh my merchandise without my steel-yard, my solitary steel-yard, so delicate and so correct? The orderly wondered how his master could refrain from strangling the old miser upon the spot. But Servadac, rather amused than otherwise, determined to try another form of persuasion. Come, Hakabut, I see that you are not disposed either to lend or to sell your steel-yard. What do you say to letting us hire it? The Jew's eyes twinkled with a satisfaction that he was unable to conceal. But what security would you give? The instrument is very valuable, and he looked more cunning than ever. What is it worth? If it is worth twenty francs, I will leave a deposit of a hundred. Will that satisfy you? He shook his head doubtfully. It is very little. Indeed, it is too little, Your Excellency. Consider. It is the only steel yard in all this new world of ours. It is worth more, much more. If I take your deposit, it must be in gold. All gold. But how much do you agree to give me for the hire? The hire, one day? You shall have twenty francs, said Servadac. Oh, it is dirt cheap. But never mind, for one day, you shall have it. Deposit in gold money a hundred francs, and twenty francs for the hire. The old man folded his hands in meek resignation. The fellow knows how to make a good bargain, said Servadac, as Isaac, after casting a distrustful look around, went out of the cabin. Detestable old wretch, replied the Count, full of disgust. Hardly a minute elapsed before the Jew was back again, 
carrying his precious steel yard with ostentatious care. It was of an ordinary kind. A spring balance, fitted with a hook, held the article to be weighed. A pointer, revolving on a disc, indicated the weight of the article. Professor Rosette was manifestly right in asserting that such a machine would register the results quite independently of any change in the force of attraction. On the earth it would have registered a kilogram as a kilogram. Here it would record a different value altogether, as the result of the altered force of gravity. Gold coinage to the worth of 120 francs was handed over to the Jew, who clutched at the money with unmistakable eagerness. The steel yard was committed to the keeping of Ben Zuf, and the visitors prepared to quit the Hansa. All at once it occurred to the professor that the steel yard would be absolutely useless to him, unless he had the means for ascertaining the precise measurement of the unit of the soil of Gallia which he proposed to weigh. Something more you must lend me, he said, addressing the Jew. I must have a measure, and I must have a kilogram. I have neither of them, answered Isaac. I have neither. I am sorry. I am very sorry. And this time the old Jew spoke the truth. He would have been really glad to do another stroke or two of business upon terms as advantageous as the transaction he had just concluded. Palmyron Rosette scratched his head in perplexity, glaring round upon his companions as if they were personally responsible for his annoyance. He muttered something about finding a way out of his difficulty, and hastily mounted the cabin ladder. The rest followed, but they had hardly reached the deck when the chink of money was heard in the room below. Hackabut was locking away the gold in one of the drawers. Back again, down the ladder, scrambled the little professor, and before the Jew was aware of his presence he had seized him by the tail of his slouchy overcoat. Some of your money. I must have money, he said. Money? gasped Hagabut. I have no money. He was pale with fright, and hardly knew what he was saying. Falsehood, roared Rosette. Do you think I cannot see? And peering down into the drawer which the Jew was vainly trying to close, he cried, Heaps of money! French money! Five franc pieces! The very thing I want! I must have them! The captain and his friends, who had returned to the cabin, looked on with mingled amusement and bewilderment. They are mine! shrieked Hackabut. I will have them! shouted the professor. You shall kill me first! bellowed the Jew. No! But I must, persisted the professor again. It was manifestly time for Servadac to interfere. My dear professor, he said, smiling, allow me to settle this little matter for you. Ah, your excellency, moaned the agitated Jew, protect me, I am but a poor man. None of that, Hackabut, hold your tongue. And, turning to Rosette, the captain said, If, sir, I understand you right, you require some silver five-franc pieces for your operation. Forty, said Rosette, surlily. Two hundred francs, whined Hackabut. Silence, cried the captain. I must have more than that, the professor continued. I want ten two-franc pieces and twenty half-francs. Let me see, said Servadac, how much is that in all? Two hundred and thirty francs, is it not? I dare say it is, answered the professor. Count, may I ask you, continued Servadac, to be security to the Jew for this loan to the professor? Loan? cried the Jew. Do you mean only a loan? 
Silence! again shouted the captain. Count Timoshev, expressing his regret that his purse contained only paper money, begged to place it at Captain Servadac's disposal. No paper, no paper, exclaimed Isaac. Paper has no currency in Gallia. About as much as silver, coolly retorted the Count. I am a poor man, began the Jew. Now, Hakabut, stop these miserable lamentations of yours, once for all. Hand us over two hundred and thirty francs in silver money, or we will proceed to help ourselves. Isaac began to yell with all his might, Thieves! Thieves! In a moment Ben Zoof's hand was clasped tightly over his mouth. Stop that howling, Belshazzar! Let him alone, Ben Zoof. He will soon come to his senses, said Servadac, quietly. When the old Jew had again recovered himself, the captain addressed him. Now, tell us, what interest do you expect? Nothing could overcome the Jew's anxiety to make another good bargain. He began, Money is scarce, very scarce, you know. No more of this, shouted Servadac. What interest, I say, what interest do you ask? Faltering and undecided still, the Jew went on. Very scarce, you know. Ten francs a day, I think, would not be unreasonable, considering. The Count had no patience to allow him to finish what he was about to say. He flung down notes to the value of several rubles. With a greediness that could not be concealed, Hakabut grasped them all. Paper, indeed, they were. But the cunning Israelite knew that they would in any case be security far beyond the value of his cash. He was making some 1,800% interest and accordingly chuckled within himself at his unexpected stroke of business. The professor pocketed his French coins with a satisfaction far more demonstrative. Gentlemen, he said, with these franc pieces I obtained the means of determining accurately both a meter and a kilogram. End of Book 2, Chapter 6